Hi, I'm Sharon Feeler. Welcome to the ABC to CEO podcast series, where we prepare women with the knowledge of the past to CEO, helping them realize they can be more than just a leader. They can be the leader. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Sharon Feeler with uh, ABC to CEO, and we're here today with Barbara Archer. Barbara is a very interesting person, having a background that I think everyone's going to love hearing about. Back in the early 80s, Barbara was an entrepreneur long before many people thought about being entrepreneurs and at a time when even women in senior roles at companies was not real common. She founded a company called Archer Wealth Management and at this point Barbara sees her clients world through a creative financial lens. She's the consummate entrepreneur and I think she's got a lot of information we're going to enjoy hearing about. Today she is part a managing director partner with Hightower in St. Louis, Missouri. She is with us to tell us about her interesting beginning of how she came to be in wealth management. So welcome Barbara. Well thank you Sharon, good to be here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about where you uh, went to school and how you got to be in the financial world because I don't think the two are exactly connected. Not at all. So happy to share that. So I went to the University of Dayton and in the 70s I was I wanted to either be in pre-med or in engineering and my advisor directed me, as any good Catholic girl should do, um, to become a medical technologist because I could always work and take care of my family and raise children. So I went along with what I was guided to do, received a degree in medical technology, and I worked my way through school and I worked in a hospital chemistry lab. And upon graduation, they offered me the whopping raise of 25 cents an hour. When I understood that a 25 cent an hour raise would not cover my, the rest of my school loans and my living expenses, I went to the dean of our school, well, basically in hysterics, <laughs> and he kindly said, I'm really sorry, I can't get you a job, but I can get you an interview. So I was interviewed by a division of General Motors. They wanted a gentleman with a chemical engineering degree to supervise an industrial chemistry lab. So when I arrived for the interview, this is the years of affirmative action, so they'd get a little chit for just having spoken to me. <laughs> I walked in the door, he wrote down his little chit that he met with me, and then he said, thank you, but we're looking for a chemical engineer. And I said, well, while I'm here, would you mind if I at least saw the lab? He goes, well, I'll take you through. These were not clean labs, this was where there were products made, ball joints, motor mounts. Different um, than the kind of lab you were working right, in. Right, latex, weather stripping. So when he took me through the labs, the basic quality control of products is the same. So mm -hmm. you still have risk on any type of, of product, you have tolerances. So when we went through the lab, we sat down, I just grabbed his paper and I wrote down 10 things I saw wrong in the lab and I said, when you need someone to actually run a laboratory and not just be good at theorems, then you may want to call me because I am able to run a lab where people don't die based on our results. Wow. And yours are, are cars, so uh, car parts, I could help there. <laughs> so I was fortunate to get the job. So he still liked you after all that? Well, it was a little challenging. I guess he felt I could hold my own because in my very first day, what I realized is walking into the plant, there was not even a woman's restroom. 
which was not discriminatory because there were no women. So it was fine. It was third shift, and um, I supervised 40 hourly rate employees, and it was a fascinating, wonderful experience. Uh, General Motors paid for my MBA. It is interesting, though, as a woman in industry in those years when I was with one of my compatriots when I found out that he was getting paid more than I was. Oh, just my goodness. In, just in a random conversation. And I was able to take my paycheck into my director and hand it to him and tell him that I was so disappointed to understand that there had been a clerical error and that I'm sure General Motors would never discriminate against a woman and I would leave my paycheck there till it was corrected next week, which it was. Oh, gosh, so. that's amazing. You know, I worked at Ford Motor Company in the late 70s. That's right. So, so. I also have that kind of uh, experience of being part of a industrial environment that was quite male-dominated, particularly at that time in the 70s. So I have a little inkling of what you went through. It was great So fun. was your paycheck corrected? Absolutely. That's good to yes. hear. Good it was to absolutely hear. corrected. And then from that transition, I became a reliability engineer. I actually got to work on the day shift. And when I finished my MBA, it's when I met my husband and moved to St. Louis and worked at Ralston Purina, which is today known as Nestle Purina, and worked in the marketing field. It was 1980 when my husband and I were married and moved here and we hired a financial advisor. And we would sit down and review our portfolio, what our goals were, um, look at our tax situation. And I determined when I would ask them more difficult questions they were really um, incapable of answering them. They really hadn't been trained in statistics or analytics of any kind, and it was an opportunity for me to say, gee, how could I do this better? Yeah, even though you weren't a financial kind of person at this point, having an no, MBA helped, but, it did but still, help. you could recognize that you felt something was missing. Yes, and I felt that there were a lot of us out there two working couples, and both yeah. of us working and needing someone to give us some guidance and really looking at internal rates of return after tax, integrating all of our outside, our attorney, our CPA, all the other people that are important in your lives, your financial lives. And so I thought, well, I don't see anyone doing it, so I'll give it a try. Well, so what did that mean you had to do to give it a try? Well, I put together a business plan. Started, you're still say, working. I'm still working full time. Put together, a, but remember, undergrad and graduate school, and I always worked and gone to school at the right. same time. So this we were was used just, to working at yeah, night. So it was yeah. fine. So I put together my business plan. We put together a budget because I knew I'd get a pay cut when I quit. I did all my licensing in the evening so that I could sit for my Series 7 and get all the right. stuff you needed to do this. And then just quit. And started. Wow, but you knew you, you could do it better. That was your goal. It was my goal, and it was fun. I yeah. loved so it. So this is the early 80s at this point. Early 80s. Most of the time I was explaining to people what a financial planner was back then. Interesting. Because people weren't familiar with that. Yeah. So your background, which uh, took you from kind of the medical technology field, and then you were able to get a job within a big corporation, um, yeah. and from there moving on to... Um, St. Louis, That's starting right. still a different career, and now in the early 80s, you, you start what really becomes your, your niche within the business world, which is financial planning. And my passion. And your passion, absolutely. Yes. I know mm -hmm. it's your passion. <laughs> 
So as you look back on everything, you know, the whole purpose of ABC to CEO is to provide young women knowledge and even adults in young women's life who, who are helping these individuals. Some of the things that people maybe years ago, maybe like you or me, or even things today yet, that they're stumbling blocks. So as you look at your past, what are the things you feel like you did that you would recommend to young girls today? You know, think about this before you go to college, while you're in college, early starting your career. What kinds of things do you feel you either did right or learned from that you would pass on that would be different? Well, I think it's always easier to start with what you did wrong <laughs> so that someone can avoid some of those things. And that was in my early days listening to other people more than listening to my own heart. So being influenced by what people thought you should do. So whether you're a woman or a man, people have certain expectations of you. Or if you're good in a certain area, if it's math and science or if it's in the arts, oftentimes people get directed into an area um, kindly by people but not necessarily for their own best interest. So I think it's interesting for people to step back and say, what is it I love to do? What am I passionate about doing? And maybe understanding that you have your own say in your own world. And having, I think the number one advantage that I've had is maintaining curiosity. So curiosity about people's lives, about what's out there, what could I try differently, what are other people learning? You and mm -hmm. I even had breakfast this morning and talked about what we're curious about in the world. Right. Right? Yeah. So that's a commonality you and I have always shared, being right. curious. And I would say to not let other people put limitations on your own curiosity. Mm. And moving forward, my business partner, Carol Rogers, and I are putting together a program this fall on some women leadership, and we're having little bracelets made up that say fearless. Love it. And I think fearlessness is just a good term of pushing yourself out there, trying something new, trying something different, making yourself uncomfortable. If you're not uncomfortable, you're not trying something new. You're not stretching. We're not stretching. This yeah. is my first podcast. That's exciting, right? I'm doing something new. It's like picking up the violin at 40 or learning to tango at 50. Right. So pushing yourself to do something different or unusual. So in the business field, it was going from medical technology to industrial to marketing and consumer goods to starting a financial practice firm. So is it important what your undergraduate degree is? I would say learning to think in those first four years is important. Finding a way to stretch yourself. It's important to get the degree. It shows that you have the ability to complete something, that you can be persistent, and that you have the tenacity to follow through. Now, you did follow up your undergrad with an MBA. I did. And uh, same thing that I did. But after... I needed to pivot. Right, right. <laughs> and I would have to say, I think for me anyway, the MBA was critical to the credibility that I presented to give me a chance. So I think I got more opportunities that I then had to follow through on. But because of having something that said you went through 
the rigor of getting an MBA in my situation said, we'll give her a chance. Well, and mine as well. It opened different doors. That's true. And other doors. That's a good way to say it. Opened mm -hmm. different doors and other doors. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you're talking about kind of things that maybe were impactful to you as far as what you would look at differently. But, but you did a lot of things right, too, obviously. <laughs> You've been very successful. You are uh, uh, well-respected nationally, probably even internationally. You do a lot of speaking across the country. So what do you think you did right that you'd say, I'm glad I did it this way? I would say never letting no be the final answer. Hmm. I have a, a line, even in my industry, sometimes from a compliance standpoint, you find out all the no's, why you can't do things. Right. And my goal is, and my request is always get me to yes. I love it. So probably that grit mm -hmm. of saying, you know, move forward, move forward, get over this hurdle, find new ways. It's the creativity of, you know, if I can't do this, I can do something else. And how do I make that still my yes? Right. And so finding ways to still move forward. Networking, you, no one does anything alone. I have the best friends, the best family, the support of a fabulous husband. That was probably one of the first right things I ever did was to marry a, a peer. Interesting. Um, where yeah. we had mutual respect and admiration for each other. And after almost 38 years of marriage, I think every year gets better and better. Wow. So I'm very And fortunate. he was actually very instrumental in, in your success. Oh, absolutely. Another good. So, okay, here's another great decision. Steve came home one day from his overseas travel. He wasn't home a lot. I oftentimes felt like a single parent with two children. You had two kids then. I yeah. did have two children. It was a challenge when you're trying to grow a business. When Steve came home and said he really wasn't happy with his job and I asked him to consider quitting and he was very supportive in the fact that I will quit, but that means you have to double down. <laughs> so, um, fortunately, it worked out for us. Uh, Steve loved being home with the children, and he still traded a portfolio on his own, still did his own research, and did his own work while the kids were at home. I can tell you, as a working mother, the first week I came home and I asked how his day was, and he said, well, what do you mean, how was my day? I had to get Kristen's braces tightened. I had to pick up Ryan after football practice. I had violin practice tonight. He goes, I didn't get anything done. And my response was, and your point is. <laughs> and yeah. he, he said, how'd you do it for 15 years? And I, said, I, I Just think do it. For, for many of us, as we look at professional women or men who work many hours, have a lot of responsibility, raising kids is, is a wonderful addition to that formula, but you have to have help. Yes. You doing it alone, from what I observe, there's not enough hours in the day to be totally committed to a career and committed to the children totally at the same time. So in your instance, you had a husband who could take off and be able to have part of that responsibility and help. And I was very fortunate to have Steve. Yeah. I mean, still yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> I still have him. Well, interesting. So tell me a little bit, though. You have, as we just said, two children. One is a daughter, and uh, she is on an interesting quest right now. She's kind of the role model in my 
mind of what we're trying to do a lot of times with our own daughters and young women we know and putting them on a path that they make choices but but they've got kind of a, a background where they're making choices that really will be impactful to their lives. So tell us a little bit about raising her and where she's at today. Well, okay, I have two children. Ryan, who's the creative and the photographer. Yes. And then Kristen, who is truly the financial wizard in our lives. So she is, I don't know how much influence we really had versus who she is as a person. From a very early age, I can remember her saying, I do it my health. <laughs> so she was always very independent and driven and wanted to accomplish things on her own. So this is a young woman that always had big dreams and would lay out plans to achieve them. So she had great foresight, but even at the age of 10, I had a call from her school where the headmistress laughingly said to me, I just had a meeting with your daughter. Of course, my heart sunk. It's like, what did she do now? And she said, well, she came in with an agenda and two other students where she told me that the purpose of the meeting was because the women in the class were not being treated fairly in math class. And she is somewhat of a, um, a mathematician and felt that she was being ignored. So the two students, a boy and a girl, were there to support her argument that the teacher was calling on boys more often than girls. We had no whining in our house, so if you weren't unhappy with something, and it's okay to be unhappy or frustrated or angry, they're all valid emotions, but instead of whining about it, please come back with two or three solutions on how you would change it. Right. So Kristen gave her three solutions on how they could change it. The teacher calling on students alphabetically, or a boy, then a girl, or she highly suggested that the headmistress sit in and view for herself there how there were inequities. So. Yeah. Well, I, I have a feeling she may have uh, had observations in her world where she knew that uh, if you want change, you, uh, you have to do something about it. Well, she did spend time in my office, initially being <laughs> in a pumpkin right. seat kicked under the desk because trying to make her quiet so I could work, <laughs> and then later helping me in even 401k plans wow. listening. So. And today she is... She's uh, at Stanford now getting her MBA, but right. she's been in investment banking and private equity. She did spend some time doing her internship in my office where she analyzed my business and told me this is not what she wanted to do. Okay. And she helped me find an investment banker, which is how I found Hightower. Wow. That's so. really interesting. And she also did an international assignment. Yes, she received a master's at the International University of Monaco. A master's in finance and international wealth management that wow. she she's paid for all of her future degrees so wow. that's on her nickel not mine well I think so. she's a, a role model for every uh, lots of teenagers today as to uh, kind of a path that can be followed um, so I guess the other things we you know kind of want to talk about are you know the other parts the other aspects of growing up of being a 10 year old do you have any thoughts to give parents who are listening to our podcast here today? You know, are there things you felt like you did with your children that made them independent, that allowed them to, as you said, make the choices that were good for them? Well, I'm a relatively strict parent from the standpoint I thought children should be independent. I guess my expectations were that they could make their own beds, they could 
load the dishwasher, they could help clean up the house, they could have chores. And the expectations were that they had to be part of a household in a community um, where they pulled their own weight mm -hmm. and also to appreciate the how fortunate they were in their lives and to give back to the community. So from a very early age, they participated in charitable activities with us. They were able to see throughout, we traveled uh, and, and saw probably more honest exhibitions of poverty throughout the world in different countries. And so they became, so they became aware of how different lives sometimes we all lead. They can, and, they, and, and to learn compassion mm -hmm. for others. Mm. So I think that made them better people because not only were they striving to achieve in their own lives, but it's what you and I probably do, try to bring up other people around us, understand how to mentor others, that we're not happy, you know one of my taglines, this is the mission of my life, and that's always grateful, never satisfied. Mm, and so, Love it, always grateful, never satisfied. That's so, great to live by. So it's always, you know, what can we do better, smarter, kinder, more profitably? So is it in your personal life? Is it in your family life? Is it in your charitable life? Is it in your business? So there's there are always changes to be made, and I think it's looking forward, trying to anticipate what the needs are of other people in your life. It all centers around individuals. And if we can help one individual at a time, one family at a time, then you have that intrinsic happiness. And I think that's what gives you passion. It's what I love in my business. I know we change lives at Hightower Wealth Management in St. Louis here. Mm -hmm. And so that's what gets me up every day. I get so excited, I can't wait to get to work. What a great feeling. Oh, it's, I, I, we've talked about this too. I can't imagine not doing this. So that idea of retirement's going to be very different for me than it may be for other people. <laughs> yeah, well, well, it's, it has a definition for everybody to find, that's for it certain. It does. So as you look at teenage girls today and knowing kind of the environment we live in, if you were to speak to teenagers as opposed to speaking to parents, mm -hmm. what would you tell girls today that are 15, 16 years old, not starting college yet, but getting ready to think about college? You have the any first thoughts? thing? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Put down your phone. Put down your phone. Put down your phone. Look across the table. Talk to your friends. Engage with them. Look in their eyes. Learn to emote personally rather than with emojis. Interesting. Yeah, hard Learn for a lot connect. of people to do today. Well, I'm seeing a trend towards more singularity, people pulling back and not engaging as much. Mm. And so even though these children might play on a team, when a sport is completed, then they're back on their phones yeah. or if they're sitting on the sidelines. So put down the phone, try and connect to people, find out what makes them interesting or different. Why is that person a friend? How do you choose your peers? Are you choosing the right peer group? This is going to be important throughout your life. So the people with whom you engage are the people with whom you will live. So if you can understand more about yourself, and you can't do that if you're spending time looking at a screen. It's not that we can always put down our phones, but if you can put them down a little more right. time. Do not sit next to your friend and text her. 
you know, <laughs> look look next to you and talk to her. Yeah, and if you're happy, just smile. Right. Yes. Do your own happy face. Right. <laughs> so I would say that's that's the first beginning. Then the second one is to really understand. Go again, spending that quiet time going into yourself and say, what you know, what is it I love to do? What makes me happy? Is it sports? Is it charitably? You know, um, giving to a community. Is it math? Is it science? Mm-hmm. What when I'm in my zone, what is it that gives me a buzz? What is it that I find that I not only enjoy, but that I like discussing with others, I want to share with others, and I can see a future in this? What about getting ready for college and thinking about, you know, what, what do I need to be prepared for as I go to college? Well, obviously, it's the academic part. So do not let those grades slip. Be prepared for your SAT. Also, be a well-rounded person. You don't want to be too narrow in your views. You want to be open and understand. Try several things earlier, freshman, sophomore year, and then go a little deeper when you find things that you're passionate about. I would say you have to be an interesting person to get into any school. I would also tell you that don't stress too much about it. You mm-hmm. will get a four-year degree. Yeah, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah. And then you can make a decision later. That first degree may not be the right degree, and you will learn as you grow. Right. Well, we're almost out of time here, but do you have any other thoughts that you'd like to pass on to even young women starting their career? I mean, do you have things you might want to pass on about how can you kind of set yourself up? Again, we're ABC to CEO, and the whole point of, of our organization is to create leaders who ultimately become the leader, either of their own company, like you did, or existing companies. I would say there are a couple of things. One is if you can find a mentor, if you find someone you connect with that has gone down the path that you would like to travel, that's a good person to connect with and have a discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, the other part would be look for opportunities to shine. So take on responsibilities. If there's a challenge that's come up in your department, um, raise your hand, sit forward, engage, offer to become involved, be a problem solver, be a team player, but also understand that just being a team player doesn't get you there. You have to have your own skill set and expertise so that you understand how to move forward. Early in your career, try and get profit and loss responsibilities. Oh, that is so true, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, because you can get pigeonholed into staff positions and it's hard to... It's hard mm-hmm. to get out. It is very hard to get out. That's, uh, that's part of the problem that I had personally in my own career that I look back on and can see that was uh, a big mistake, not getting P&L responsibility early enough. Well, thank you for your time. Well, we this uh, fun. yeah enjoyed talking to you, and thank you everybody for joining us today. Uh, Barbara is not only a, a very successful businesswoman, but she's very passionate about uh, the community of St. Louis in which she lives, and many people in town know her and love to have her on their uh, boards and committees because she is a doer. <laughs> so thank you for being with us. Thank you, Sharon. Have a good day. Thank you. Thank you.